0: Welcome back to the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex Thayer. Ben, last week going into Wake Forest basketball game against Georgia, I said that that was going to be a pretty important game. And during the game at halftime, I said that it was an imminently winnable game for Wake Forest. And I really do think it was. They lost 80-77, to and you have to feel like that's the game that got away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, last year one of the team one of the things that was I think most frustrating for Steve Forbes about the season was that and this stat still blows my mind to this day. Wake Forest last year lost 7 games by exactly 2 points. And so think about that and think about how even if you win half of those games, how it changes the season. So I know a point of emphasis for Steve Forbes this year was having this group sort of remodel a little bit, come in and be able to flip the switch and make those adjustments to win those kinds of close games, because we were talking about it beforehand. You know, these, not these early non-conference wins as flawed as the system might be are going to be important. Come March, come tournament time, when it comes time for, you know, Wake Forest to put its case together to get over the hump and get back in the NCAA tournament. So I thought Wake had a lot of opportunities to to win this game. Um, unfortunately, you know, Hunter Salas and Cam Hildreth didn't have great shooting nights. Both struggled with some foul trouble out as did Andrew Carr, which never hurts things. Um, I also thought though, that there was a lot to be encouraged about from this performance. So I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later, but for right now, yeah, this one stings.
0: Yeah. I mean, it stings. And the tough part about these early games is they do matter, but at the end of the day, they are early games. I think, you know, Wake Forest was a team that was hobbled. There were reports that Hunter Salas was still dealing with that injury that he suffered against Elon, and Cam Hildreth was also dealing with an injury. So, two of those players that struggled shooting and also got into foul trouble were two that may not have been at a hundred percent for Wake Forest. Something we'll get into a little bit later. But uh, as you said, I think there were some encouraging things. I think Wake Forest battled, and 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 I mentioned battle just in the sense that they battled themselves back into the game. I mean, they were down eight with two minutes to go, rattled off five straight points and had the ball with t- seven seconds left within one possession, two chances to score. They just didn't get the ball in the net. So, I mean, the game was there right in front of them. They they definitely took a game where the team as a whole didn't play really well. They didn't shoot the ball well. They didn't necessarily defend well either. Uh, and they kept themselves in the ball game. Uh, so I think there is, as you said, a lot of positives to take away for Wake Forest, but, at the same time, it's a bummer in the sense that this was a really, really good opportunity, as Steve Forbes said after the game, and it's one they're not going to get back. Now there are going to be a lot more opportunities going on this season. It's not you know going to be the stab in the back for Wake Forest, and the season's just done two games in. You know the chances are still going to be there in droves, but this is just one they're they're not going to get back. And, and and looking back at this game, I know it's you know. Cliche as hell to say, but it was a game of runs. I mean, Wake Forest was trailing by a dozen in the second half, scored 12 of the next 13 points. They went, Wake Forest did, they went on a 12-1 run early in the first, but just as much as Wake Forest had those streaks, Georgia kind of got the best of them. Early in the action, Georgia outscored Wake Forest 20-4 to over a seven-minute stretch, And then in the second half, a 17-4 run turned a one-point Wake Forest lead. One of the few Wake Forest leads in the game, and especially in the second half, turned a one-point Wake Forest lead into a 12-point deficit. So those two runs are just absolute backbreakers for Wake Forest. And it was a game of runs. But the fact that Georgia got the better of those runs and and that those runs were so large in terms of uh, of scoring – for the Bulldogs is just something that really hurts for Wake Forest because they had that game in front of them and and too many times Georgia was able to create leads that Wake Forest struggled to get back into the game on. And and at the end, it just proved to be too much down the stretch.
1: Yeah. um, You talked about the runs and this game was such a whipsaw. You think just watching, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, controversy around the term momentum, but it seemed like, for a while, especially in the first half, neither team could really gain any consistent momentum. I mean, you know, Wake went up by, I think, as many as eight in the first half, ended up trailing by four going into the break. Um, one run that I will talk about that um, Wake fans, I believe, should be encouraged by is that with, you know, seven and a half minutes to go in this game, Wake is down 73 to 60, and then they finish the game on a 17 to seven run so in that crunch time outscoring a road opponent by 10 over the last seven and a half minutes of a game i think is something to be encouraged by for sure um you know the i feel like you know shooting struggles and foul troubles and injuries aside which you know i think also played an important factor in this game it's tough when you have both of your you know who have been your two top scoring options so far probably not at hundred percent. That's that clearly creates some adversity. And then, you know, the foul trouble is another factor. Um, But to be able to produce that, you know, like that down the stretch, I think is very promising for this Wake Forest team. But um, the frustrating part for sure is, you know, you're down 80, 77 with 40, 43 seconds left. You force that turnover with 20 seconds to go. You have two chances to get a good look at it um to tie this game. Andrew Carr airballs a three. Cam Hildreth takes a contested three. And you know, you're not you're not really able to find as clean of a look on those possessions as you would hope. Um, it d- just didn't seem like, you know, the the out of bounds plays went exactly according to plan there. Um, I like Andrew Carr's confidence to put that shot up. Um, I thought he played a really strong game. I'll get into that a little bit more later. Loved what I saw out of him for the most part. Um, but yeah, just a just an early really kind of a backbreaking loss. I mean, that's, we talked about it, how you feel like this is one that Wake Forest um, can have winnable game against, you know, a quality opponent, but not necessarily an opponent that I think is going to be a better team than Wake Forest when all is said and done. I think Georgia's got some talent, but I think they like Wake are still putting it together. So I think Wake really had an opportunity to win this game. Um, But yeah, you know, you got to take these early games with a grain of salt um, there's there's just so much basketball left to be played, and I think it's, I think it is unwise to be overly frustrated by this team right now or overly critical of them, especially you know, going down in a, in a hostile road environment in Athens. I mean, you were there, not not an easy place to play, not an easy place to come back with a win for, um, you know, for for guys who were you know playing their first, second, third games in Wake Forest uniforms. Yeah, it was loud. It was really loud. I,
0: I didn't know what I was going to get. In terms of the the crowd in Athens, they had college game day for football. I mean, a really big football game the next day between the Dogs and Ole Miss. Initially, I thought, based on what how the crowd was coming in right before the game started, it looked like it was going to be pretty empty, except for a, a rather robust student section. And then I look up about 10 minutes into the game, and it's a 10,000-seat stadium, and it's packed and loud. The student section was loud. They were active. It was not an easy environment for Wake Forest to play in, especially when they got down and had to battle back. So the fact that they did battle back a fair amount in that environment, I think is something, it'll be a bit of a feather in their cap. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to take positives sometimes when, when you lose like that. But I think there are some positives to take. And for a second game of the season, the way that Wake Forest hung in, it is something to to be proud of, I would say, especially the fans can look at that and say, you know, this team's just not going to roll over and die, especially with some of the issues that they were dealing with in terms of injuries, foul trouble, the foul trouble, which I, I do want to get into now that I'm talking about some more team specific stuff. Three of Steve Forbes' starters ended the game with four fouls. So Cam Hildreth, Boopy Miller, Andrew Carr, all four Each of them reached their fourth foul before the under eight media timeout in the second half, which to me is just, I mean, insane. Andrew Carr had four fouls with 15 minutes remaining in the game, which is just, I mean, unbelievable. I don't know. It's hard for me to go back and really say whether each one of those fouls was deserved or not. But the differential in fouls between Wake Forest and Georgia and some of that may have been Wake Forest's own doing. Don't get me wrong, but it was startling just to continually look up to the scoreboard and realize, wow, Wake Forest is about to allow Georgia to get into the bonus. And wow, like this guy has three fouls. This guy has four fouls now. I mean, it it, it certainly limited what Steve Force could do lineup wise in the second half. And at a certain point, he just had to send guys out with, with four fouls. And if they were going to get a fifth foul, so be it but they had to be out there. Like Andrew Carr is a player that has to be on the court. Cam Hildreth, a guy who has to be on the court. Boopy is a guy who really needs to be out on the court. Like those guys having four fouls at a certain point, you just had to send them back out there. And credit to them, none of them picked up a fifth. They did a good job at staying disciplined in critical times when they needed to be. But the fact that the, several Wake Forest players were in that position to begin with, it is a tough thing to wrap your your head around and again I just don't know if it was all on Wake Forest or if it was just maybe a little bit of not necessarily home cooking but it just felt like there was a large discrepancy in the foul calls and it was something that Wake Forest had to deal with
1: yeah and I think you know foul trouble is one thing but what we've seen from this team offensively so far is that you know, most of their offense comes from that starting lineup. Almost all their offense comes from that starting lineup, you know, against Elon, they had five players score. Um, and specifically the three players that you mentioned that each had four fouls, Andrew Carr, uh, Cameron Hildreth, and Booby Miller combined for 52 of wake 77 points. So those are, you know, those are your, that's your offense right there. That, that, that is, you know, a massive chunk of your offense, You know, and especially in Andrew Carr's case, you're you're forced to play a little bit of a different brand of basketball when you're picking up fouls that early. It just kind of limits limits what you can do a little bit, you know, on both ends of the floor. So, I think that maybe forced Wake to play outside of their identity a little bit, which is a tough thing to deal with in your first true road game against an SEC opponent. But I do think, you know, I think that I think that they adjusted well um, for the most part. Like you said, you know, things things to be encouraged by. A lot of times in that game, you know, you you go down 10, 12 points on the road. Can saw it a couple of times last year. It can be easy for those games to become, you know, 22, 24 point blowouts. But instead, you know, wait, clawed their way back um, and had a real shot, I think, to. To take this game to overtime and, you know my gut tells me that if wake was able to you know get that last bucket in regulation and send it to overtime i think they would have come out with the win just with how how they'd been playing over the last 8 minutes of the game i think if they were able to grind it out and sort of complete that comeback in regulation that they would have been you know this is total conjecture on my part just a gut feeling from from watching the game but um i just feel like they they might have been able to get it done with the extra period
0: yeah i also would say that i think if wake forest was at a hundred percent that especially, and had limited a few of these issues that I'm about to get into. I think they win that game. When I say it was imminently winnable. I really do think that was a game that wake forest had. And it was just a few things, the injuries, the foul trouble, and these things that I'm going to get into now that, that kept them from winning that game. So 13 turnovers for wake forest, Georgia had seven. So Hunter Salas and Andrew Carr, both with three, the team was hot from from the three-point line in the first half. Uh, Boopy Miller, especially, he hit two, I believe, back-to-back, and, and they were just electric three-pointers. They really kick-started a Wake Forest run, if I recall. But in the process of hitting those threes, they then got a little three-happy. I mean, they went three of 12 in the second half from behind the arc. It, it felt like Wake Forest really started to, to rip the threes, and it was something that Steve Forbes talked about after the game that they didn't really get into their offensive, as you said, Ben, their offensive identity because the three-pointers were were such a big factor. And then also playing a role in that, I guess more as a result, the two-point shooting was abysmal. Wake Forest was 41% on the night from two-pointers. And so Forbes said, "I th- I thought we took way too many bad shots from two. We shot 41%, which is not good. Too many dribble pull-up twos that we don't teach. That was one of the things I told them before the game. You cannot get sped up. You got to play at your pace. And I felt like they had the offense sped up. So I think the the three-pointers and also the nature of the twos that Wake Forest was taking limited their ability to put the ball in the bucket. They they weren't playing to their identity, to what Steve Forbes believes their identity is what he teaches them to do. And so just combine some of the shooting woes of the team along with some of those little issues along the way. And then again, the foul trouble, the injuries, it was all, it all kind of snowballed a little bit, almost to a, to a sense that you're like, wow, I mean, Wake Forest, they really, I mean, they were within three points of this game. They lost this game by three points. And so that just really does lead me to believe that they, they could have won some of the things that I'm talking about. I, I would almost blindly look at this game and say, wow, Wake maybe got, you know, beat up a little bit. Like maybe they lost this game by 15, 18 points, what have you. They just lost by three. So they kept themselves in it despite some, some troubles and it's a game they, they probably want to have back. But again, you know, being within three, everything in college basketball these days is about metrics. After the win against Elon and the loss to Georgia, Wake Forest is now better in Kempom than they were at the start of the season. And Kempom is not the end all be all mind you, but that is a sign that though they didn't get the ultimate job done winning in Athens. Wake Forest did enough to to prove themselves in a, in a tough situation and even taking into account all the, the the little mistakes, as Steve Forbes put it, or actually, I believe it was Boopy put it after the game. I think he referred to little mistakes become big mistakes, and that's how he lost the game by three. Uh, it, that's how you lose the game by three. One positive, I will say, but bef- actually, I'm going to go with two positives before I kick it over to you, Ben. Something I talked about after the win over Elon. Wake Force again, was good at the free throw line, 16 of 18. I think that's really impressive. It's a sign of a disciplined team, clearly something they're working on, and, and it's a great sign down the stretch, especially when you're in these tough games, like a tough game against Georgia. Maybe you're on the flip side of that, and you're up by three trying to claw yourself to a win, or you're trying to claw yourself to a win while being down. The team's ability to hit shots from the free throw line is really important. And so the fact that they've, for two games straight, been very effective from the charity stripe is a good sign to see. Also, the rebounding is interesting to me. I'll say interesting in the sense that Wake Forest actually won on rebounds. So they out-rebounded Georgia 41-38, to 38, and Wake Forest had 13 offensive rebounds to Georgia's 10. With that being said, I still feel like Wake left some rebounds on the table. And I know that's weird to say, like at the surface, you could just say Wake won the rebounding battle, both on the defensive end and on the offensive end. Like, great. That's really, really good. But I felt like it could have been even better. There was a specific possession for me that really stands out where two Georgia offensive rebounds led to a score. It's a small part of the game. Absolutely. It's one possession. But. At the end of the day, it was a three-point deficit. Wake Forest loses three points, and those small plays can make a difference. So shout out to Wake for for the rebounding effort. They did well. They beat Georgia on the boards, and that's something to to take home with you. But I feel like there were some specific possessions where Wake Forest could have furthered their advantage on the boards, and they didn't, and and that may have played a, a slight role in a loss where those slight mistakes can, can hurt.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked about it all through this episode. When you have guys in foul trouble, when you have guys playing injured, when you have, you know, your two, two out of your top three offensive weapons struggling from the floor, your margin for error in other areas just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So when you're, you know, when you're having these shooting struggles, Wake was sub 40% from, you know, total field goals and from behind the three point line. So when you're not, when you're not getting hot, when you're not able to play, like you mentioned, like Steve Forbes mentioned to your offensive identity, as much as you want to, you got to overcompensate in those other areas of the game. So not just winning the, the rebounding battle, but dominating it, you know, and like you said it's those you know three points is is nothing but like you said you know it's little little moments like that possession you mentioned where a couple missed opportunities on the defensive boards lead to a putback bucket that's a momentum swing um that's you know something that you know, does, should Wake Forest get a stop like that on that possession or a couple other possessions like it, you never know how, how the game's going to swing. Um, it was an incredibly hard fought game from Wake Forest. I, I like what I saw out of Marcus Marion. I thought he gave them really good minutes again. Um, I thought Parker Fredrickson was solid. Um, always encouraging, you know, for, for a first true road game, that's, that's pretty tough. You know, that's, that's a tough environment to go into as a freshman. Um, so, Liked what I saw out of those guys. I don't think they tried to do too much, which I think is an important part right now. Like I think I've I've talked about this before, but it seems like those freshmen are are comfortable with their roles on both ends of the floor, which I think is just the best way to earn yourself playing time is understanding where you fit into Steve Forbes' scheme of things. Because you know he he has such a clear picture for how he wants to use his players. Um, so got got good minutes out of those guys. Um, yeah, it was just just one of those games where Wake Forest just wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. Like you mentioned, I think the fact that they scored 77 points um, and, you know, got well over that 70 point threshold, despite struggling from three point land and in field goal range, you know, in general um, is a good sign. It shows me that this team can be crafty with how they can score. They got guys who can, you know, aren't afraid to attack the basket and then are seem to be solid from the free throw line so far. Those are things that will, you know, treat them well. Um, in in games, you know, come ACC play, and I think, I think this is why Steve Forbes signed up for this non-conference slate and put these games on the docket because this team is going to be battle tested. Um, conference play, um, where they're going to have road games like this every week, essentially. So, um, I like that Steve Forbes is is testing this team. I like that the team seems to be responding um obviously Steve Forbes isn't huge on moral victories but I do think there were some to come out of this game obviously this is a game Wake Forest could have won you know realistically and if the, I think if they even have a decent shooting night they win it it just didn't turn out that way um but really really no choice at this point um other than watch the film see what you got see where you went wrong and then and then move on to a a really big a um, couple games coming up Thursday and over the weekend.
0: Yeah. Before we get into those games, you had mentioned some of the players, Ben. Let's go ahead and just start with the, the starters at the the top of the scorebook on the evening is Boopy Miller. 22 points, but not a great shooting night from the field. He went six of 15. He did have, as I said, that little bit of a heater from the three point line. Those two straight. He finished three of seven from behind the arc. And then seven to seven from the free throw line. So props to to Boopy on the charity stripe and maybe a night where he wasn't as great from the field in 30 minutes of play. Also knocked it, or rather grabbed, uh, six rebounds and and had seven assists. So a pretty solid stat line uh, from Boopy Miller. Also two steals now that I'm looking at it to to go with just one turnover. So despite it not being a a very great shooting night for Boopy, across the board, a, a, a pretty complimentary performance on on the defensive end on the boards from the free throw line. I mean, that's what you want to see out of a player where the the shooting isn't maybe going your way on the night. Andrew Carr also, I mean, he shot decently well, six of 11 from the field. So shooting over 50% is pretty good. Also had those two three-pointers, eight rebounds, including two offensive boards. And two blocks, but he did have those three turnovers. So another good night offensively from Andrew Carr. I think he's really proving to be a big offensive threat for Wake Forest. He's really, it feels like right now, if you could single out one guy who is just gotta be your guy, it's Andrew Carr. He could only give Wake 29 minutes. Not that 29 isn't a lot, but for him, 29 isn't a ton. And a lot of that had to do with getting to four fouls at the 15 minute mark in the second half. Steve Forbes had to keep him safe for that final stretch, which, which they were able to, Andrew Carr was able to be out on the, on the court for those last plays, so, but you want to have more minutes out of him, but overall, you know, a, a good stat line for Andrew. And then Cam, not his best shooting night. You know, that's kind of the story of Wake Forest evening against Georgia, but of 13, he went to a six from three. So six, three point attempts, not something you normally see if, as we've talked about, uh, with cam before but six three-point attempts again makes him a threat people got to prepare for him from behind the three-point line a- and going 33 behind the three-point line sure isn't too bad so cam again proving himself to be a threat but i do think the injury the the supposed injury he had going into the game that that i heard through a source it i think it impacted him so I think Cam was just a little bit of the story of Wake Forest on the night shooting-wise, and I'm not going to dog him too much over it. I think there was a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances that led to that performance, and he was still able to be productive for the team. He's always going to be a factor, just like
1: Andrew Carr, Uh, but it just wasn't his night. No, yeah, I mean, and it's hard, obviously. Cam Hildreth has been, you know, was just so fantastic in the first – couple games the alabama exhibition obviously was averaging 35 and a half points a game um you know through through those two contests obviously the alabama game did not count towards the regular season record but even so there was bound to be um you know some sort of come down to earth moment a little bit um just happened to be during in a tough spot when hunter salas also was struggling from the field so um kind of the the main contributors of Wake's offense so far this year both happen to have an off shooting under of the same night. It's hard for teams to win when that happens. Um, I loved what I saw at Boopy Miller. I think this game was a little bit of a coming out party for him. Um, and it happened early on in the year. So I love seeing that. Yeah, the, the efficiency isn't quite there yet, but man, he's just such an exciting player to watch with how explosive he is and the three-point range that he shows. And I think complements the games of Cam Hildreth and, and Hunter Salas very, very well. Um, he showed up in a big moment and, you know, put a, put up a 20-point performance when the team really, really needed it. I think he's a big part of the reason that Wake was able to stay competitive in this game. He hit some, hit some really big shots, like you said, in, in, in the first half, a couple big threes there. Um, I do want to talk about Andrew Carr because I love so much what I'm seeing from Andrew Carr this year. Um, I think, you know, Cam is another guy who you watch and it's clear that he's taken the leap. I think Andrew Carr, so far, it's crystal clear that he was able to clearly identify what his weaknesses were last year. Obviously, he played through a lot of injuries, but he also was giving up some size and you know a little bit of strength to some of the other players in the ACC, and you know that's something that he looked at in the offseason and said, hey, this is how I get my game to the next level. I get stronger. I play more physical around the boards. I you know find out a way to be a more effective rim protector at my height. Um, he's doing all of that so far. Another thing I want to note is I think part of what Steve, what makes Steve Forbes such an effective coach um, and a really, you know, outstanding coach in the ACC is that he's able to to tailor an offense around his team so that they can all play to the best version of themselves. And I think he found what Andrew Carr, what allows Andrew Carr to play confident, a role in the offense that allows him to play very confidently. And Andrew Carr is leaning into that right now. It's a really fun thing to watch. I think Andrew Carr, yeah, you know, to to deal with that foul trouble and still go out there and finish with 18 points and have a night where you shoot over 50% shooting and knock down, you know, two big threes is is, is super encouraging. And, you know, sometimes you commit fouls when you play more physical brand of basketball. That's kind of just how it goes. Georgia is a physical team. It was a physical game. Um, but yeah, you know, whether whether it's Cam and Hunter playing through some discomfort, you know, whether it's just, road jitters for the first time all year a little bit of both I think it it was hard for Wake to overcome the fact that both of those guys you know went a combined nine of 31 from the field you know under 33% shooting it's not you know it, it's hard to win on the road with that recipe um, and I, I, I wouldn't worry about it continuing per se um, over the long term but I I do think that That was just part of the reason why Wake just didn't look quite themselves offensively.
0: Talk about looking tough on the offensive side. Hunter Salas, another guy who, just like Cam, was such an offensive factor against Alabama and against Elon. He was also dealing with that kind of an injury, you know, the ankle injury that hampered him and eventually took him out of the game against Elon. I think it may have had a part in, in his game against Georgia when five of 18 from the field two of seven from three, just not his best night. But again, the injury I think is, is a huge thing there. So wake forest has got to hope that they get cam and, and Hunter healthy going into this weekend in Charleston last starter. I'll talk about Matthew Marsh. Uh, one thing I do want to point out on the offensive, on the offensive boards, he was credited with three offensive rebounds. I think, I think he may have had more. I mean, maybe not truly in the statute, but there were a few that he kind of tipped out to the perimeter that counted as team offensive rebounds for Wake Forest, but may have not gone under the the sheet for him. In regards to to his performance on the offensive side with in terms of rebounds, I thought Matthew Marsh performed incredibly well. I thought he was impactful. I thought he I thought he was a big factor for wake forest and getting some second chance possessions, which probably played a a rather large role in keeping them in the game. Now on, on the back end, there were some stretches where I was a little more concerned about the performance on the defensive boards. As I said earlier, there was that possession with the two offensive rebounds for Georgia. I, if I recall correctly, it was, it was Matthew Marsh who, who lost kind of missed out on both of those. And just, again, it leads to a score. It's a tight game but it is one possession. I thought his performance on the offensive boards was really impressive. And one of the things that I highlighted before the game was I I, I thought that a lot of the, the game was going to depend upon that battle at the five position between Matthew Marsh and, and Russell Chewa for Georgia, a really big guy. He's a seven footer, really physical. And overall, I, th- I thought Matthew Marsh did really well there. I thought he did well defensively against a big opponent in Russell Chewa it was a back and forth battle. Both of them got individual wins here or there, but, but neither, and certainly not Russell Chewa. He did not dominate Matthew Marsh at the five by, by any stretch of the imagination. It was a, it was a really good battle between the two of them, a really good college basketball battle to watch. And I thought both played well. Uh, I thought Russell Chewa played well offensively. I thought Matthew Marsh played well defensively And, and to pair that with his performance on the offensive boards, I'll I'll give Matthew Marsh a, a nod for a pretty solid performance, but just something to keep an eye on. And, and one of those little nitpicky things just to, again, is, is just some of those rebounds on the defensive end that I think, as I referenced earlier, where Wave Forest won the battle, but I think they could have done even better. Just one of those little things uh, that I, something that I want to keep an eye on going forward in this season. Ben, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and kind of close, close out our, our discussion about the players, talking about the freshmen. I know you mentioned uh Marcus Marion and Parker Fredrickson earlier.
1: Yeah, uh Marcus Marion, I think I think Wake Forest fans should be excited about. I mean, he's he's a guy that just is a plug and play guy. There's no other way to describe it. He just fits into where what this team does on both ends of the floor, you know, able to give him nearly 30 minutes again. Um you know, this, I can't remember if we mentioned this earlier, but a couple of moments where he wasn't, you know, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't, you know, crisp and clean all night long, but I do like that Steve Forbes let him play through those moments and sort of learn on the fly. I think he understands that Marcus Marion going to be a very important piece of this team, you know, this year. And I thought Marcus Marion did a lot of good things, you know, not a guy that's taking a ton of shots yet, but still, you know, pulled down six rebound, six rebounds, um, you know, is able to, is able to, you know, find a way so early in his career to, you know, contribute in a way that's meaningful enough to stay out there for almost 30 minutes. So exciting. Um, like, like the way he plays a lot. I, I I talk about it a lot, but he's, he's already got ACC size. I just think he looks, you know, big enough to compete out there. And then Parker Fredrickson was solid. He, you know, I, he only played, I think, what, what was it? 12 minutes, this game, 14, 14 minutes, 14 minutes. Um, didn't, you know, blow me away, but I also don't think he did anything to, you know, worsen himself in in the standing um, of this team. So I think overall, you know, in a, in a game where jitters are, you know, come attached to it, your first road game as a college player um, overall, I think very, you know, very satisfactory, exceeding expectations of performances from those guys especially since it's their second game. I mean,
0: both of them, Marcus and Parker, their second true collegiate basketball games. And, and both of them, I think in my book, inc- incredibly exceeding my expectations. The fact that a guy like Marcus Marion is is putting up 29 minutes in his second collegiate basketball game, Parker Fredrickson, 14 minutes. I mean, these are not just small pieces as freshmen that are kind of parking their backsides on the bench for most of the season as freshmen, you know, kind of the traditional write of passage one might say these guys are factors they are absolute factors for wake forest this year and they've they've both been performing well i thought marcus had a really good game some of those mistakes as you said parker not not as much in in the stat book from him but 14 minutes out of your freshman something you got to be pleased with and looking ahead ben you know quick turnaround for wake forest after a loss to georgia In just when you guys listen to this, it'll be Tuesday morning. So in in two days time, Wake Forest opens with Utah right now, the number 35 Ken Palm team in the nation Thursday night at nine o'clock at the Charleston classic Wake Forest currently at 71 and Ken Palm moved up two spots after the Elon win and Georgia loss. And here's where things can get really exciting, Ben, and why this tournament could be so big is if not only if Wake Forest knocks off Utah, which could look like a quad one win, for hopefully the the remainder of the season, you're likely playing the winner of a number two Ken Palm team in the nation and a number one forty Ken Palm team in the nation. A number two team, Houston. If Wake Forest can beat Utah, which is a big win within itself, and then even if they're just going to play a team like Houston, not necessarily win. I mean, if you beat Houston, it's massive. It's ginormous. But if you can play Houston and 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 prove that you're you're kind of right in the running with them, that would mean so much for Wake Forest season, especially when things do- get down to the nitty-gritty in March. Wake Forest, these next three games, they're guaranteed three games in Charleston. It could do a lot for this
1: team in March. I agree. I just think it's this whole setup is such a good opportunity um, for the team, and I think that's how they should treat it. And, you know, in terms of Utah, They've shot – you know, they've completely dominated their first two games. They beat Eastern Washington 101-66. They beat UC Riverside 82-53. So two blowouts. Haven't really found themselves in a close game to this point. But even so, you know, they're playing good enough basketball to where they have moved up in Ken Palm, you know, a little bit up to that number 35 spot. So this is, a, I think, a golden opportunity for Wake Forest. Neutral environment, you know, no – maybe even, you know, a little bit more of an advantage for Wake Forest. They're way closer to their home turf than Utah is. Um, so the, the travel is a little bit lighter. I think that will help out. And then, you know, like you said, Utah, I think is a good team, but if Wake can find a way to, you know, play a little bit more of their brand of basketball, sneak out with a win, just to go play Houston, like you said, play with house money, go out there, have fun, um, play loose, you know, see what, see what you get, see what you really got in a game like that. In a game so- where if, if so big. I mean, yeah. yeah,
0: he's So big
1: to just, to just be able to play, you know, uh, a program of that caliber um, I think would do, would do wonders for the team. Obviously we're getting ahead of, ourself, ahead of ourselves a little bit. You know, I think wake is going to have their work cut out for them against Utah a team who has shown they can score a bunch of points. Um, I think wake also has the ability to score a bunch of points. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. And if you're wake forest and, this team got to have a short-term memory. You can't can't let a, a little bit of a, a Georgia hangover come and bite you on the not on the road in Charleston, but in a in a really fun neutral environment in Charleston.
0: Yeah, you absolutely need to go out and compete for three ball games in Charleston. I I can't express it, it stinks just because it's so early in the season, but these games are gonna mean a lot. They really are. I can't emphasize it enough. And I'm certainly, you know, we're not the only ones saying it. We've been hearing it all over the place. These games. Are important. It's even coming from inside the program. They know it too. And in addition to not only playing Utah, the number 35 Ken Palm team in the country, Houston number two, I mean, Ben, there's a lot of talent on the other side of the bracket in Charleston. You got St. John's, who I watched play earlier tonight, not necessarily a great game against Michigan, but right now the number 60 team in the country in Ken Palm, your hometown squad, the Dayton Flyers at number 65, LSU at 64, North Texas, which surprisingly, I I thought North Texas was kind of a throwaway team, but number 87 in Kempom, a lot of good teams in Charleston and and Wake Forest, along with, you know, guaranteed game against Utah, playing then either Houston or Towson on Friday night, depending on how Wake does and, and that other game shakes out. And then they'll play one of the other four teams in St. John's, Dayton, LSU, North Texas. So you're guaranteed, likely, Three quality matchups in a four-day stretch in, in Charleston. So a big stretch for the Demon Deacons. And the turnaround is short, Ben. This coming out, as I said before, Tuesday morning, Thursday afternoon, I'll be in Charleston. I'll be watching Wake Forest Thursday night and Friday night and possibly Sunday. Uh, it, it is a it is a quick turnaround for the Deeks and, and a critical one, especially when you look down the stretch in March. These are the games you want to have. Wake Forest, Utah, at 9 o'clock Thursday night from Charleston, South Carolina. Until then, that'll be all for us basketball-wise on Boots on the Ground pod, but we will have a football podcast coming out later this week. I believe Thursday morning we will have a football podcast to touch on what can be described as nothing other than a, a demoralizing loss for Wake Forest on Senior Day against NC State in football. Uh, really, really tough loss, tough for the program. It was clearly tough on on Dave Clawson and the post-game press conference, as we'll certainly be getting into. And then they've got to go up to South Bend this weekend and play none other than Sam Hartman and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So a lot to talk about on our football pod coming out later this week. We've got basketball starting Thursday night in Charleston, South Carolina. Could not be busier for the Wake Forest media and for the Boots on the Ground pod. That'll be it for us now. Alongside Ben Conroy, I'm Essex there. Thanks for tuning in.